So today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. And I think Luke's trying to communicate a few clear things to his readers, right? Like this is on purpose. So verse 21, when eight days had passed since Jesus' birth, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. Now, this is important because this is what good Orthodox Jewish families do on the eighth day, right? Luke is communicating clearly here, Jesus' parents are good, a good Jewish family, right? They, they follow the law. And it will continue here. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing in accordance with the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph are following the law. They're good parents. Jesus is in good hands, right? This is important for Luke to communicate this. Verse 25. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. This is important, right? Simeon is righteous and devout. The Holy Spirit speaks to Simeon. He is close to God. We can trust what Simeon is saying, right? This is Luke. It's important, I think, for us to know this. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought Jesus to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. And I want to stop just for a minute. For any of you that have had babies, <laughs> let's go to the temple. We'll get Jesus circumcised. You know, we'll dedicate him to the Lord. And then a strange man that you don't know takes your baby and like, like lifts him up to give praise to God. Like, I imagine Joseph and Mary losing their mind at this point. Like, <laughs> my wife would go after Simeon like a meerkat if someone tried to take her baby out of her arms, right? But remember, Simeon is close to the Lord. The Spirit is upon him. Um, he's righteous and devout. And so we have to take Simeon's words uh, seriously here. So here are the words of Simeon, verse 29. Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word. He's praying to God here, right? Let your servant Simeon go. I can die now. I've seen the Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation. You, Lord, prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Simeon speaks a prophetic word, a light to all peoples, including who? The Gentiles. Luke wants to make it clear, in a time when many early Christians were Jewish and they thought salvation was only for Jews, we're God's people, God's Messiah, Jesus, is only for us. Luke is saying, nope, from the very beginning, eight days old, 
Before Jesus was even circumcised, here's Simeon giving a prophetic word that salvation, God's light, is for all nations, all people, including Gentiles who you might not like Jewish people, right? This is a controversial word that Luke speaks at this time. Mary and Joseph were amazed by what Simeon said. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your inmost being. A second prophetic word from Simeon. Number one sounds great. God's salvation is for all, even Gentiles. The second, not so fun to hear. Your son will reveal the inner thoughts of many. Because of that, there will be people that will hate him. He will be divisive. And you will, your, your innermost being will be pierced, right? This prophetic word of Jesus' suffering and death. And I really do think people who come to, I'm so sorry if you are not muted would you please mute yourself because I can hear someone and I can hear my own feedback right now uh, and Jen maybe you could write them an individual note in the chat room or something but you have to mute yourself this second prophetic word from Simeon is harder to hear because in this world when someone comes filled with goodness love right truthful words to people in power. That person is a threat. That person often is crushed. And we have many examples, not only Jesus, but many examples of humans who want to bring love, peace, forgiveness, transparency, justice, equality, and the world crushes them. And so Simeon, in some ways, is preparing Mary here for this word. And, and Jesus prepares all of his disciples, all of us, Prepare for persecution, right? In a world bent on violence, anger, power, and greed. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, a second prophet here at the temple. This is important because often you'll have two witnesses to a miracle of Jesus in scriptures and other things. In, in Jewish law, you wanted to have confirmation, right? So the second prophetic voice here is, is sort of like confirmation for Simeon. It's very important. The second prophet also is a female. I love it. A female prophet here, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband seven years, but now she was 84. So she had been a widow for decades, right? She was married and most got married young, married seven years. Her husband dies. She's now been a widow. She's 84 years old. She never left the temple area. <laughs> Think about that. But worshipped God, fasting and praying night and day. She approached at that very moment in the temple and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She's recognizing this as the Messiah. To anyone who's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, it has come. God is here in flesh. These two odd stories of Simeon and Anna, these two very untraditional prophets speaking to the crowds that this is the Christ. 
that God is here, that God has not abandoned us, that redemption is at hand, and not just for some, but for all. Today we talk about the candle of joy, and I want to talk about that for a minute. The title of my sermon is, What Are You Smiling About? What are you smiling about? I don't get it. Let's just look at Anna's story for a minute. In the ancient world, to be married young, to be married for only seven years, to have your husband die, to be 84 years old now means that for most of her life she has been vulnerable. She has had to struggle with poverty. Single women had it very difficult in the ancient world. She spends her time at the temple. And I think to myself, given her inevitable circumstances, what is she smiling about? Right? Why so happy, Anna? But I have to stop for a minute and think, she goes there to fast and to pray. The, the scriptures say Simeon was righteous and devout. And it should be no surprise to us, the people that hear the voice of God, the people that hear the Spirit, are those that are connected to the Lord. Those that spend their time in prayer, in fasting. Anna is anticipating God showing up. She expects it. She's waiting for it. She's preparing the way for the Lord to show up. So when Jesus arrives at the temple, she hears the Holy Spirit. She's connected to the Holy Spirit. She recognizes it. And I fear I don't. I'm surrounded by a whole heck of a lot more happiness than Anna, more fun, entertainment, and distraction, more food, more comfort, more family. But I'm not as connected to God. And I wonder how often God speaks and I don't hear it. The people in our story that hear the Holy Spirit, that connect, that recognize Jesus as the Messiah, are the ones connected to God. And for our purposes today, where I want to focus is not just that, which should challenge all of us to find these ways to connect to God and to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord because God's presence is real among us. The Holy Spirit is present among us, calling us, equipping us, speaking to us. But we've got to make room to hear that, right? But for the purposes of today, I want to talk about Anna and Simeon's immediate response to Jesus, which is one of joy. She immediately, it says, praises the Lord. He immediately praises God. This can't be based on their circumstances because their circumstances aren't great. They're just not. Their circumstances are troubling. Happiness, pleasure, these things are dependent on my circumstances. I'm happy when something goes well for me and I'm upset when something doesn't go my way. But joy, the candle we celebrate today, real joy is independent of circumstances. Joy is, some, is a deep sense beyond just feelings of happiness that exists whether I'm going through times of trial or whether I'm going through times of great happiness. Joy is a kind of anticipation that God is in control and is going to show up and that I can take that to the bank. Anna has joy even though she's an 84-year-old widow. 
who hasn't been married for decades, it sounds like doesn't have children because she's at the temple every day. And yet, in the midst of that, in spite of that, she has joy. I want to read a few quotes, two of them by Henry Nouwen, who I love, and then one by Thich Nhat Hanh. Here's the first from Henry Nouwen. The joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. I have little control about what happens to me in any given day, but I do have control about what I focus on. So Anna doesn't focus on the fact that she's widowed or lonely or doesn't have children. Her focus is on the Lord. Her focus is on prayer and fasting. Her focus is on preparing the way. I can't control my circumstances, but I can control my focus. And joy, when it gets deep into your bones, joy causes us to focus on what is positive, what is good and true and loving. Let me give you a second quote, also from Henry Nouwen. Joy does not happen to us because it's not about our circumstances. We must choose joy and keep choosing it every day. I choose joy, but I don't choose my feelings. So joy can't be a feeling. Feelings come and go. Feelings rise up in me, anger, anxiety, happiness, jealousy, and then they leave. But joy is a choice because I can choose how I'm going to respond, what I'm going to focus on, and how I'll react. So joy is not feeling great all the time. Joy is not a, uh, having a smile on my face all the time. Joy is a disposition that's deep in me that says, no matter how bad things get, I have hope and faith, and there's good in the world that I will focus on, that I will choose. The last quote comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. Joy is a decision, a really brave one, about how you are going to respond to life. Joy is about how we will respond to life. Respond to the things we cannot control. So I want to talk about joy and I want to talk about choosing joy and what I think that looks like. And the word I want to use or the phrase I want to use is joy is a form of resistance. Joy is a form of revolt. Because the world we live in wants to pull us to despair. The world we live in wants to pull us towards anxiety. Look at all the conflict. Look at all the division. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm alone. I'm not with someone. I'm filled with anger. Why can't I forgive? The world keeps telling us I'm not enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not attractive enough. Despair, despair, despair. I don't have enough power. Uh, why don't I have more control over my life? Why do these things keep happening to me? And there's just this gravitational force that the world has on us that pull us down. Joy is our form of resistance. It's our form of protest. It's our form of revolt that says, I won't allow the world to do that. In the midst of all of this, which is true and real, my emphasis, my focus will be on joy, on the Lord, on where God is showing up in the world, on where the Spirit is at work. Joy as a form of revolt, of resistance. It is our, it's our foot down in the ground. No, we choose joy. We find it in community. When I don't have it in my life, 
I find it in you all. When you don't have it, maybe you could find it in us. We come together and share praises every single Sunday because joy is a form of revolt. And I want to share some examples of what this might look like. What I see in the person of Simeon and Anna. I'm going to try to share my screen and see if this works. I've got a little PowerPoint. I'll show you what, I, what this might look like. Can you, can you give me a thumbs up? Can you see my screen now? All right. Joy is a form of resistance, right? So I don't know if you remember when COVID struck and we were in lockdown. I'm talking like late March, early April, lockdown. Did you guys hear the story in Italy of the apartment complexes that would come out and sing every day? Every day they would sing. And more and more people would come out onto their balconies. And so I want to show you these pictures. So more and more people would just come out to clap and to sing and to see each other's faces because they couldn't go anywhere, right? So they would just socially distance. And they... Oh, where'd it go? Sorry, they would bring instruments, right? So they would begin singing and playing the guitar. And they would get dressed up, right? And they would sing opera. And then more people, right? I think I've got a harmonica. Like, look at... <laughs> I haven't seen one of those in a while, right? Get that harmonica out. Let's do, or excuse me, the, what is that called? Like the xylophone, right? We got it going on. More and more Italians, right? And then it would spread and it was like more and more apartment complexes. And in the midst of what should otherwise be despair, isolation and loneliness, they said yes to joy. They chose it, right? Even if they didn't feel like singing, just getting out and doing that lifts the spirits, right? You remember at the beginning during COVID when people started taking the six o'clock hour to clap for healthcare workers, put up signs in the yard, right? Go to their homes in their cars and honk and be like, thank you, thank you. This is how we choose joy. So I'm going to go back, right? So this is like some of the signs that people put up to say thank you, Cassie Wyatt, Chris Wyatt, Ben Powers, Mike, right? All the people we know, Melissa Michelson. We thank you. You're heroes. You're putting your life at risk, right? All of the essential workers that couldn't take time off, that had to be exposed to COVID, thank you. And so we made signs, right? We put them in their yards. A hero lives here. That's how you choose joy. That's how you say in the midst of despair, we do something different. I might not feel it. I might feel alone. I might feel isolated, but I can make a decision on what to focus on, where to put my heart and my time. Right here in Idaho, I think I told you, right? So for a hundred days in a row, 100 days in a row on State Street, right by the Capitol leading up to the election. That's my neighbor, by the way. She's just, an, just a stud. I love her. Her name's Eileen. Her and Tom started getting a group of people together, not political, so there were no Donald Trump signs, there were no Joe Biden signs, there were no angry signs. All of it was things like everyone deserves respect. It was about love and joy. They played music, people danced, and then pretty soon every day they'd get like 50, 60, 100 people. They called it happy hour. What, th what about politics or the election would you call happy hour, right? 
But because it wasn't about po politics per se, it was about love and equality and justice, there was joy. I went several times and I, all I can describe it as a group of people who wanted love to win, who wanted peace to win. But a hundred days in a row, rain, snow, shine, they were there. Here are some more signs. That's Tom. He would do push-ups for cars going by, right? Just get people pumped up. Violence is not the answer. Honk for equality, right? These are the kinds of signs. When people would get frustrated, it's hard to understand why, but people would drive by and yell things. Sometimes they got the one-finger salute. They would give the two-finger salute. They'd give thumbs up, right? I've got, an, I've got a picture, right? So everyone would get the joy as a form of resistance. Anger doesn't win. Division doesn't win. Hatred doesn't win. Anxiety and fear don't win. Listen to Anna. Listen to Simeon. God is here. God is present. Hope will get the last word and faith will get the last word and joy will get the last word. We have to be tangible signs of this. We can't give in to despair. In our congregation right now, I'm going to highlight someone who does this. Her name is Wendy Blickenstaff. She uses art as a form of joy. She creates images like this. Look how everyone connected. Individual families loving each other, but also connected to one another. We are not independent, we're interdependent. She spreads joy through images. Posted all around, right, on telephone poles. Love, embrace, forgiveness, connection. She uses her art. Emily uses her music. We can use what we have right now in our hands as symbols of joy. This is how we win. This is how we resist. Right? So, Anna can have horrible circumstances and be filled with joy because she's connected to the Lord. And I'm going to say the same thing to you. That no matter what you're going through, find a way, ways that work for you to connect to the Holy Spirit, that connect to your deepest self, that slow you down and lift you up and remind you of what is true and right and good. You've got to find ways to do that so that when God does appear, like in the temple, boom, we're like Anna and we recognize it. I see you, God. I see you, God. I see you, God. That's what we do, right? We train ourselves. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to stop sharing. I spent a lot of my life studying philosophy and caring deeply about being right. I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to have the right answers. That was very important to me. Anything I believed, I wanted to have rational and evidentiary justification. I wanted to know what was true in that kind of worldview way. Truth like my beliefs match reality. And I've come to recognize that much of the time this is futile. The world is too complicated. God is too transcendent for me to figure it out in my tiny skull-shaped head, right? As much as I desire that. And I've come to see one of the secrets of life, at least for me, is not to have the right beliefs or have all the true thoughts, but instead to have the right dispositions, that I approach life with the right attitudes, 
that no matter if I have the right answer or not, if I come at the world with humility, I've already succeeded. If I can approach relationships with forgiveness and grace, I don't have to have it all figured out. But the dispositions I carry with me every day in every interaction should be something like joy and hope and love. If I can get those inside of me, then I think I can be wrong a lot. And I'm still going to be pretty okay in life. And I think I'm going to be pretty okay in community and in my relationships. So I've stopped spending so much time trying to figure things out. And I've done a lot more work on trying to figure out who I am inside. What, what dispositions and attitudes do I approach life with? So joy becomes a rubric for me. How do I grade myself? I don't know. Do I choose joy? Do I choose faith? Do I fill my life with the kinds of things that lead to resistance? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Simeon and Anna, two unlikely prophets in the midst of a world of chaos and circumstances that should only lead one to despair. They show us models of real joy, connected to you, tied to you in prayer and fasting, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, expecting you to show up, and that allowed joy to flow. Lord, please give us that disposition. Help us to focus on those things in life that bring true joy. Help us to expect and to prepare for your coming. Amen. Please join us for our closing song.